circuits like freeways. I kept dreaming of a world I thought I'd never see. And then, one day, I got in. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Michael Miller, and I am back from the dead. Well, almost. Almost. Yeah, I suppose I've got a foot still in the grave. I had, I'm not really sure what I had because I hesitate to give it a conventional name like flu or cold. I have decided to dub it the Hell Death Plague. The Nasties. Well, that, even that sounds a little bit friendly. <laughs> Whatever this was was not friendly what, in, any, in any shape, form, or fashion. It was by far the nastiest uh, illness that had decided to seep into my bones. I guess we could call it a virus. And my antivirus was not quite up to snuff initially. Several scans later and several diagnostics and approximately one week of reboots later, I'm here with a system that is limping along and badly in need of a reinstall but functioning. He's rebooted. I am rebooted. <coughs> it's true. <laughs> and I, I should note that in case I am attacked by one of the many hacking per- well, seizures that I get, and by hacking we mean traditional yes. hacking and coughing, not That's as right. in, not, not as re- other hacking attack. Paul is going to fill in with a very entertaining uh, example of what a chicken might sound That's like. Right. He is, does a very good chicken impersonation, among other things. So you things. know things are really going in a bad direction if you start hearing chickens. It's true. We we have this week one of the best reasons for you to be fearful, afraid, and panicking. And oh yes. That actually worked this time. It did. Was it, it loud just, enough? It's it's very flawless. That's that's quite amazing. That's fantastic. I'm very happy. And I would like to invite you to Operation Red October. That's right. It is the 1980s again, and a rogue nuclear submarine piloted by none other than Sean Connery is rocketing towards the United States. Actually, in this case, this is a different Red October. <laughs> And this particular Red October is one of the uh, largest ongoing large-scale computer espionage networks that's targeted hundreds of diplomatic, governmental, scientific organizations in, in tens, I, is that a word, tens, scores, tens. there you go, scores of countries, including the Russian Federation, to be exact. Iran, the United States, so not the usual culprit because the scope and complexity of this network is similar to the flame network that we had talked about on the show before and that was almost certainly created by the United States and Israel in order to uh, it, it carry out various Damage yeah, Iran. <coughs> espionage activities against Iran. Now this one seems to be not based or sponsored from a nation state. At least nearly as um, researchers could tell. Although I have to say I wondered how they knew that. I mean, if it's not sponsored by a nation state, something of this scope, that's um, some pretty, pretty sweet science fiction black market well, story material there. One of the things they're thinking is that it's the Russian Federation's the most targeted country, <laughs> but you know, the next on the list is not the United States. It's Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, Belgium, India, Afghanistan. So it's one of the thoughts is that. They're not necessarily trying to hurt a government, but if they can get information that has value, they can sell it. 
Mm. And I'd have to imagine those countries don't have the world's best security to begin with. Right. Just just a guess. Uh, and, and so people know uh, this was discovered by the Kaspersky Lab, and some people may be familiar with Kaspersky Antivirus. It's a Russian antivirus firm. And they're the ones who dubbed it Operation Red October. And according to them, it's been active since about 2007. And I'm saying it's potentially siphoned up terabytes of sensitive information by now. It uses more than 1,000 distinct modules that have never been seen before to customize attack profiles for each victim. So in other words, what they're saying is that there are multiple complex components to this attack, to the software. It's not just a little file that gets downloaded to a computer, mm-hmm. runs in the background, its job, it's done. This is something that is coordinated from multiple angles over a period of time using various tools and various pieces of software to target specific people. (coughs) Right. They're they're using uh, somewhere around 60 proxy servers. And what I thought was interesting... Should I be blowing the whistle referee on you now? Proxy server? Let's do that. Paul, your your, uh, jargon is just far too jargonish for us. Oh. Oh, there he goes. That almost worked. Oh, well. Not quite. Not quite. Um, yeah, so the, the beyond that one tier of proxy servers, there appears to be another. Well, right. And so wh- what they're saying is is that this information that was harvested from individuals' computers is then sent off to a pro- approximately, uh, what was it, uh, 1,000 various domain names across the Internet. So that's, you know, something something dot somebody dot com. And all these various domain names were then pointing to yet another server. And the domain names that they use as, as the first layer would change up. That's why there were so many. And then finally it would point to yet a second layer of servers. And then that layer of servers points, they speculate, they're not sure, to what they've dubbed the mothership, mothership. Some, yes. somewhere else. It's pretty dramatic sounding. I like that. But that's also really pretty large and complex to carry off. And that's, uh, that's a lot of different uh, moving parts and pieces to keep going at the same time. What's interesting is they managed to learn this by uh, – they, they were contracted by an anonymous third party, mm-hmm. in this case, to, to investigate this. And they managed to discover this by s- doing what's called sinkholing several of those domain names. In other words <coughs> – Paul, you're trying to whistle. I can tell. Paul just tried to blow a referee whistle on me, so everybody knows. Sinkholing, in this case, the act of taking over someone's domain without them knowing and intercepting traffic that travels through it. So, for example, if you own paulmorley.com and I, Michael Miller, then gain access to that domain and pay attention to what goes through there, who visits and what they're doing, potentially redirecting traffic or capturing information, and you never know about it, then I, Michael Miller, have sinkholed paulmorley.com. And that's what Kaspersky did to about 50 various domains in this particular case. And I guess they've been holding on to um, information uh, stolen credentials, and they've been able to use those like years later to um, to find secret phrases and passwords. Well, right, they would like install that. key loggers. I mean, again, multiple pieces of software, multiple <coughs> vectors for attack, and so everyone's fear always is that these key loggers exist in our computers and are tracking what we do. In this particular case, that was true. And if you were a government official in Azerbaijan and you happen to have been targeted by this, which, by the way, people were targeted very specifically, I guess, documents crafted specifically for the person that that person might find interesting were sent to them. 
And if that person managed to open this document up, then that could start the source of, of in, infection. <coughs> Excuse me. In this particular case, once they'd done that, they would keep track of that person, gather whatever login information they could, and then over time try to use that login information on other parts of the computer. Not to mention that this software also would try to recover deleted files from disk drives that have been inserted into the computers. Well, well. well after the fact, you know, they just randomly, in the background, you insert a thumb drive, and the software says, oh, hey, let's go ahead and check and see if there's anything in here What's that's in valuable. What's in the trash? Yes, exactly. What's wow. in the trash? Let's sort through the trash. Interesting. The guy with the, a, the aviators like, in your like backyard. Looking in the, in the dumpster. It, it's it's exactly like dumpster. that. And then someone, and here's what they don't really talk about in this, but that, I mean, obviously there's cost in developing it, but think about the cost in maintaining it yeah, in sifting through the dumpster. Because the program's not smart enough to do an awesome job sifting through the dumpster. Someone out there is still virtually sifting through virtual dumpsters of information, hoping to find, you know, the cut-up credit card or whatever it well, is. Well, they must be... Gaining some income along the way, or they well, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. I can't imagine this is this is not the high school prank yeah. scenario. I, I read something about this where the the module creates extensions for Adobe Reader. Yeah, that was actually really Word. clever. Really that was clever. that was incredibly clever. It creates so for, for those who have a, who have ever read a PDF on a computer, you've probably installed Adobe Reader at some point. Almost everybody has. And Adobe Reader supports plugins. Safari supports plugins. Adobe Reader supports plugins. Lots of programs support plugins. This thing created a plugin for Adobe Reader that sat in the background and was inert until, until a document was emailed to that person with a PDF attached. And that PDF had a malicious program in it. But it didn't have the execution code. In other words, it didn't have the code in the program that would do anything once you opened it. So the antivirus would scan the document and say, oh, hey, this is no biggie. Mm -hmm. It's inert. And give it a nice green flag. But yeah. then when you actually open the document in Adobe, in Adobe Acrobat, the plugin would kick in yeah. and execute it and run it and install it in the background. Crazy. It was their way of gaining access even if other parts of it had been removed or if that person switched computers, they felt they would always be able to get access to the computer again. I mean, that's really clever. And so now these people are reading this article and thinking, well, I guess we've got to change our game a little bit. Well, you know, and you have to think, think about it. So we've talked about Stuxnet, which destroyed hard drives in the Ira Iranian nuclear centers. We've talked about Flame, which did a similar thing against Iran. We're talking about now this, Operation Red October, which has been all about stealing information from who knows who, by whom. And, and as we've mentioned on the show before, I'm certainly convinced there's a very fairly intense covert information war being waged right now. And if these three major pieces of information have been uncovered, some of which have been operating for literally years, I mean seven years in this case, which is almost a decade to stretch that a little bit further, I can guarantee there's stuff going on right now, today, that we don't even know. Probably on your iPhone, Paul. Probably. As we speak. <laughs> you never know. Now, unlikely, actually. <clears throat> and and to move on from that, while we're on such serious topics, um, we've we've talked about SOPA and PIPA on the radio before, which was a Stop Online Piracy Act, which was yeah. was in, is in its of itself stopped. Mm -hmm. And something that's been making a lot of headlines lately is that one of the 
one of the people who is a leading activist in that and was being uh, was part was part of a federal case uh, has recently committed suicide. And Aaron Schwartz. Aaron Schwartz. And Aaron Schwartz was also before that known as one of the people who developed RSS. I don't know if you're familiar with RSS, Paul. I was going to ask you to explain that. RSS, RSS is standard. Yeah, you may have seen it mentioned on your computer here and there, or maybe not. But if you visit, say, a news website and you've got that list of articles, RSS is a system of taking that list of articles, and then you can open them up in a different program that automatically updates every time a new article shows up. Think of it, say, uh, think of your email program. You get a new, uh, sub, new unread subject, right, every time an email comes in. You click on it. You read the email. There's no cruft to it. There's no picture. It's just a text, right? Mm-hmm. An RSS reader does it. It takes a feed from the internet, from a website, from say the New York Times, and all you get is just this list of articles. And you see which ones you've read, which ones you haven't. And you click on the one you want, and you just see the text of the article and nothing else. Okay. It's a very convenient way to read information from the web. It's a very convenient way to keep track of information for websites you care about. And if you start paying attention, virtually every website today supports RSS feeds. Hmm. Hmm. And so Aaron Schwartz was one of the people who uh, helped develop the RSS standard. He was 14. He was 14. He was ar- arguably a, a, a very smart guy. He also was one of the people who helped start Reddit, a very a popular Internet news site which ranks news articles based by the, well, the News articles are ranked by the people who visit. And as such, it, it's become very, very popular, and it was actually bought by Condé Nast uh, a number of years ago. And so Aaron Schwartz has been independently wealthy since then. Until recently. Until recently, this is true. So he has always fancied himself as uh, quite the activist. And I, and I say fancied himself simply because at the time when this article, f- <coughs> excuse me, when this piece of information first came out, I wasn't very impressed with what he did. But what he did was he went to JSTOR, the uh, massive compendium of research papers, uh, servers that house electronic versions of these research papers at MIT. And so after he had been banned from the Internet, Right. Well, what? Really? I didn't know that. He'd been banned from, um, excuse me, from the Wi-Fi. Oh, at at MIT, yeah. So he went into a closet and... He plugged his computer in directly, downloaded a, a huge number of papers, and then went, went ahead to release them on the Internet. Because he didn't want them to be held behind, a, what did he call it, a, uh, a pay, paywall? A paywall. Paywall. Yes, a paywall to is... Pay a, to, to, to access these files he felt should be public. And, and, and to a certain degree, I obviously sympathize and agree with that. A lot of these papers have been funded by public dollars, the argument is. They should be available to the public... And you shouldn't have to pay an exorbitant fee just to get access to something that's already been digitized and is theoretically freely available information. On the flip side, it's owned by this organization. It's there, and I'm not sure that they are really the enemy of public information. You know, I'm not sure that JSTOR and MIT could possibly be called the the oppressive the, the people oppressing the internet, so to speak. Well, I think when when you start charging people for access to information, that that is arguably, we're not talking about, you know, newspapers charging you to read their product. Right. We're talking about mu- information in libraries. When you start charging people for access to library um, archives, then you start to exclude me- members of the public from gaining that access. Well, that's very true. I mean, certainly that the members of the public do not have access to JSTOR. 
And in this case, he felt that way. And by the way, I should note, if, if someone else has an opinion on this, they can chime in. People can chime in by Absolutely. Uh, texting us at 8417368 or ug one cent according to Paul. Agwansent. Agwansent. Or uh, you can email us at help at outofajam.net. You could also get in touch on Facebook, facebook.com slash outofajam. At any rate, get us your name, your number, and we will give you a number to call in so you can give us your commentary on this as well. But where this is going is that... <coughs> He was then uh, he was sued by the federal government because breaking into a building and accessing computer systems you do not you are not allowed to access is a federal crime. Yeah. And in this particular case, it was a federal crime that was punishable by quite a few years in jail. Yeah. Federal prosecutor Carmen Ortiz approved felony felony indictment demand which demanded 35 years in prison. And I guess if convicted on all charges, he could have spent more than 50. Yeah. So that's that's considerable. And um, Aaron, who had always, from what people have said, suffered with a, a number of psychological issues to begin with and struggled with depression throughout his life, he took his life, unfortunately, last week. And this has set off a firestorm on the Internet and public pressure in general. And, in fact, MIT has now started an investigation into the, prosec- into the case. Uh, based on the fact that people say if he had not been persecuted or prosecuted, this would never have happened in the first place. And while maybe he should not have done that, and while it is without question that he broke the law, should he really be facing 35 years in jail when other people for considerably more serious crimes don't don't face more than five or ten years in jail? Like Steve Jobs and Wozniak. Well, that's true. Because There's a really interesting article in the New Yorker that makes a um, connection to that, that they had actually hacked into AT&T's telephone system to make free telephone calls. This is very true. And actually sold devices called blue boxes so that other people could do this. Mm-hmm. And they got away with it. You well, know? I mean, and and arguably... If they had been prosecuted like this gentleman, Schwartz... Um, we wouldn't have had, you know, the products that came out of those no. those two geniuses. And not to mention that arguably what they were doing was considerably more opportunistic and mercenary than actually or, did harm. Well, yeah, they were they were theoretically stealing product. Yeah. I mean, and, and I will say at the time there were people who felt they were striking out against Mabel. Mm-hmm. But regardless, the point is that they did not go to jail forever. Thank goodness he very probably should have been prosecuted for something, but should he have been prosecuted to the full extent of the law is another question entirely. Yeah, they, they ruined his fortune, and he was facing um, a very uncertain future. And the other interesting thing is they charged him with wire fraud, which I'm not really sure how that how fraud pl- plays into this. Obviously, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't really understand, but um, I'm not sure wire fraud was was part of releasing information into the wild in this case we're going to keep watching this hopefully people do take this to heart and it results in some kind of a change in the legal system for the better rather than the other way around and speaking of all of these things which are considerably more serious uh, on a note that of happiness i suppose the fact that it's not all fear and panic and technology does bring good things to people's lives Uh, paul what happened in iowa this was really kind of cool. This this, this um, brother and sister, uh, he's 65, uh, she's 70-something. Anyway, they've been reunited. 
uh, after 60. Oh, no, it can't be 65. Oh, yeah, 66 and 70 are their ages. Um, they were separated at childhood in uh, separate foster care. Man. And um, a friend of one of their landlords who's seven years old, and this is a, a real... a seven-year-old IT person. It's a, it's a real testament to, the, to the, the new generation that has never not known computers and social media, helped them find each other through Facebook. And they got together after 65 What years. I love about this is that all it took for him was a Facebook search. Yeah, it really and wasn't can, that difficult. No, but and, and it's it's and it, it's not difficult for him or but for anyone who knows know how. that you can do it. Absolutely. But it is pretty hilarious that like, you can almost hear the conversation. Well, have you tried searching Facebook? Right. Yep. Oh, there he is. Oh, look, I can pull up his credit card information. <laughs> yeah, right. would, you, would you like to know what he's been watching online? All of his personal information. This is, here. is too much. I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> no, that's that's exactly right. Although it is, and it's worth noting that she managed to identify him by his photo yeah, online. He looked familiar. He looked familiar, yep. and she figured that it had to be him because yeah. the name was f- familiar, was similar, and his face was similar. Yeah, and pretty sweet. Clifford Boyson and Betty Billado. They're both from the Boyston lineage. They connected amongst tears and hugs, which is pretty awesome. Pretty nice. So, and that's that's by the way, Facebook an example of Facebook doing a good thing. Yeah. And actually, that's a pretty good example of the kind of thing technology does in people's lives every day, in a smaller way that we don't necessarily get to write news articles about or talk. But there's a lot of connections that happen that are pretty miraculous compared to. 10, 20 years ago that we just take for granted now. I think it becomes absurd, though, after a point, because, you know, there's a lot of people I've, I'm not in touch with, and I couldn't possibly, there aren't enough hours in the day for me to have a meaning relationship, meaningful relationship with all of these people if we were able to track each other down. Well, so long as you hit the like button on their posts, Paul, that's all that really matters, Right. That's a a meaningful relationship. (laughs) No, it's true. It's true. And I would, I would definitely ask, you know, what it means if someone has 400 friends, which we've, we've of course, ranted about before. Yes. It does beg the question: when you only have so many hours in the day, who do you choose to communicate with, and why? Right. But that also always boils down to you have to make meaningful, conscious choices in your life, and technology just gives you the power to make many of those choices. And if you don't start making choices, you just get inundated with I garbage. Some people are more susceptible to it than others. Other people, this is a device by which they can cling on to things longer. This is true. That they should learn to let go of. So you're, what you're really saying is they're hoarding friends. <laughs> they're <laughs> friend hoarders. It's a form of hoarding, yeah. Well, at least they're not, you know, hoarding tin cans. There's... Arguably, digital hoarding is less... It doesn't take up as much space. Right, exactly. It's not quite as gnarly (laughs) for the visitors. Digital hoarding is not as damaging as physical hoarding. I, I, would, I would attend. One last note in this article. His sister said he didn't have any women in his life, Sarah said. Oh, yeah. We're going to get that straightened out real fast. And <laughs> I have them to eat. It's awesome. It is, but part of me also wondered if at that comment he wasn't like, oh, what have I gotten myself Yeah, maybe into? he wants to be alone. <laughs> It's, we have to follow up on this story uh, uh, just a little bit from now. Mm-hmm. <coughs> 
All right. So, moving on. And this is not related, perhaps, to the normal technology we cover, but I thought it was really cool. And that is the fact that NASA buys an $18 million inflatable room for the International Space Station. Is this like one of those inflatable, like, arenas that they, they put ice on? They wanted a pool. Under? They really... Oh, pool, I, mean, yeah. I mean, you can understand why. A zero-G pool would be a really awesome that thing. That would be weird. The water would just be floating around inside there. Theoretically, you could drown in a tiny bubble of water if you didn't have any purchase to push off Right. Yeah. Although I suppose you could just blow. Yes. It's not actually. It's not actually a pool. Nope, nope. And what this would c- blowing bubbles be like in zero gravity? Underwater. I don't... I, Ooh. I, there's so many things that I have no idea what it would be like in zero G. I, and I couldn't even begin, begin to hazard a guess. That being said, Paul, you could become an astronaut and fa- find out. I, I could. It's or you could pay, soon. you know. Yes, it's true. Which will lead to a different story. That we're going to talk about, but we're going to talk Let's about jump ahead yet? Yeah, no, 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 because we have suspense. we have the Genesis One and Genesis Two prototypes. Yes, that are <coughs> they've already been launched in 2006 and 2007, and they're 14 feet long by 8 feet wide, and about 406 cubic feet of pressurized volume. And, and they, they just they just kind of attach to the exterior of the space station. Yeah. Yeah, and what what I really find amazing is that, so they're contracting this, right? So they hold a $1.6 billion deal for 12 flights, and they're launching their Dragon capsule on the first cargo run last October. And then <coughs> they're expected to launch more test flights, and then they're going to, like you said, they're going to attach this to the International Space Station, inflate it, and boom, they have additional room. All right. What I thought was cool about this is it's all independent, private business subcontracting with nasa well that seems to be more and more the way Mm -hmm. space exploration is going i think so and based on that we're going to talk about how you can go to mars in just a few moments when we come back all right you're listening to radio free palmer kvrf 89.5 on your fm dial if you'd like to get involved with radio free palmer contact us at radiofreepalmer.org this is your chance to invent community radio in sutton butte chickaloon and the surrounding areas I like space travel. I've always liked space travel. I think that's why I like science fiction games. I, I'm, I'm very into space travel. So I was very excited to find out that if I wanted to, there are interviews being held. There are help-wanted ads for a Mars colony. Yes. Paul, don't you want to go to Mars? You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. But you know, Really? I grew up in the era of the, of the Apollo missions and the Gemini missions and... I, my mom would let me stay home from school and watch all oh, of those man. launches. That's amazing. I used to make a little, like, a, um, a mercury capsule under the dining room table. Not out of actual mercury. No, no, right. you know, the no, mercury yes. capsule. No, I do. That's, that is uh, Stan's mercury capsule. I certainly felt that both my brother and I always were into space travel as well. And uh, I guess they're saying that anyone can apply 
and this is being run by Mars One, a nonprofit organization based in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And they intend to establish a human settlement, not just a manned expedition, but an <laughs> honest-to-gosh settlement on Mars in 2023. Mm-hmm. Just in very, that's what, ten, basically it's, 10 years from now. It's nuts. It is. It's 10 yeah. years from now. Yeah. And, you know, they've got plans to be sending supplies there just in the next few years. Yeah, I guess they're going to start in the... in. In 2016, they're going to begin rocketing supplies to Mars, including spare parts, two rovers, let's see, living units that can be assembled into a base once humans arrive. So you better really hope, really hope that when you arrive, everything else has arrived in equally good shape as you did. Because it would be really lame to have your rovers, and it would be really lame to have your food, and then your roof has a big hole in it. Yeah, right. It would be just a, a gigantic bummer. But they say they're going to give you eight years of training. And includes simulated missions, practice in a restricted mobility environment, lessons in electronics, equipment repair, basic and critical medical care. So that's that's coming down the pike. That's right here in the very near future. And what's the best part, Paul? You just have to be 18. No, it's a one-way <laughs> trip. Oh, I know. I thought we were going to save that. Oh, uh, bit. <laughs> yeah. There, there's one drawback. It is a one-way ticket. Yep. Apparently, once you go there, you can't come back. That's very weird. Which, I have to say, puts a gigantic damper on the entire proceeding for me. I might do it other than that. Well, I I don't know that I would do it, but I would at least fantasize about doing it. it, This just makes it seem creepy and and weird and sad. I don't know. I mean... Yeah, how would that affect the people that are there? Well, I don't... We're never leaving this place. How... That just seems... You start your how, – what kind of people would you attract who want to fly for however – whatever unheavenly un, amount of time it would take to get there, right? You arrive there. You build your hovel. And for what? Like they're going to keep sending more supplies at you on rockets, hopefully. But you're going to live the rest of your life on Mars, no family, no kids. Or are you going to have kids? You're going to keep building out your your moon base? I, yeah, I, I mean – are they going to be practicing contraception or, you know, sex I don't know. I just, there's so many questions to me from that one sentence that it's a one-way trip, which I guess is why they can do it because, yeah, I mean, you can send a rocket there. It's it would really certainly easy. thin the, the applicant pool. That's it? right. There's, there's been two applicants so far, and they both <laughs> hit each other. It's a problem. <laughs> All right. <coughs> awesome. Last note. Last thing we need to note, and, and I had thought we had talked about this, mm-hmm. but um, as it, Paul pointed out, we hadn't. And that Zip is that car. Avis, the rental car company, has bought Zipcar, the uh, micro rental car company. And I was all, oh, Zipcar must be with the rental car company we had talked about. Or we the, talked about the, the taxis. Right, the crowdsourced taxis mm-hmm. where you can have an app and someone else has an app. You say you need a ride and it and pops you, up on yours. It tells you which one is nearest to you. And, and they come and pick you up and you pay them a nominal yeah. fee. Right. And that was fun. It was really cool. And it was falling under uh, all sorts of legal trouble. And then Washington, D.C. actually legalized it. So I was excited about that. Yeah. And then I saw this, and I, I, made, I was confused. I thought that Avis had sort of bought this program and legitimized it. Not that it's necessarily illegitimate to begin with. But as it seems, the Zipcar is a service I'd never heard of. It's a mini rental service where you can rent a car for just one or two hours. Yeah, it's like eleven twenty-five an hour. That's really cool. That's pretty good. That's, I could easily see that coming into handy for all sorts of people. Well, yeah. I mean, I grew up in New York City, and you didn't need to own a car there for any reason. It was, if anything, it was, 
you know, expensive liability. Yeah, liability. I mean, certainly the time I spent in Chicago parking. having a car is a huge oh, pain. nightmare for parking. I remember we had a, a family friends that come over from New Jersey, and when they came into the town, it was like a major event finding a parking place. <laughs> you had to drive the entire neighborhood. And like, you, you start to watch the signs of and somebody yet, Kojak pulling over. Never had are they leaving? Trouble. Wait, are they, are they, oh, they're just getting something out of the trunk. Oh, keep going. I wonder how much parking-related violence has happened in the big sure. cities. Yeah. Over over the years, probably a fair, but yeah. So renting that's where car road rage came from originally. Parking. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Either that or or somebody doing 35 and it's 65. Right, as they're looking for parking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> That'll snap after a certain point. Would do it for me in no time. So. So par- this seems like a great example of if you can't beat them, own them. Avis, you know, big rental company. It's true. They know, they see the writing on the wall. There's this upstart company, you know, kind of like Apple, mm-hmm. you know, coming up the, through the, the, the traffic flow and, uh, <laughs> to the cracks in the sidewalk. If that's you will. right. And so they say, well, we can't get rid of them. We better buy them. <laughs> well, uh, as it stands, it, I would like to be able to adopt that policy for any number of things. For example, I can't be Apple. I would love to own them. That would be pretty good. <laughs> um, right on your coattails there, my friend. <laughs> uh, well, as it stands, actually, Apple stock is plummeting like a yeah. meteor. Well, that's you know, it's really so relative, though. Yes, it's true. I, I read this, and I had to laugh. Poor Apple, you know. They are a suffering, sad corporation. (laughs) Apparently, the Wall Street Journal has published the fact, this is a fact, that they have cut cut their orders for certain parts of the iPhone 5. 50%. 50%, a pretty big cut. And then they also have what they claim are reliable sources that say this is because demand has not been what they would want. Hey, we have a phone call. We have a caller. exciting. Incoming. Who would it be? And you're on the air. Hi, uh, this is Doug. Hey, I'm Doug. Doug, we love you, Doug. Long-time listener here. Yeah. So, Doug, you were saying you don't understand what it means when you say Agwan Sen. Well, yeah, I got a hold of, I I, I texted a poor guy named Richard, um, <laughs> who... <laughs> was very confused? Yeah, he wasn't interested in my WordPress question. Oh, man, you know, that Richard, he's just such a card yeah. all the time. So, no, Agwan Sent, U-G-1-S-E-N-T. Yeah, you know, I tried it with this, with uh, Sent as in, like, a penny instead. Oh, oh, I suppose that could happen. Yeah, and Ug is sometimes spelled U-G-H, right? Yeah. yeah. We were very limited. We really studied the... The key, the you know, the touch keys, and we even did a, an internet search that kind of does that for you. Oh, and, uh, that was the best we could come up with. No, it's it's pretty good, but uh, a little more clarification. And then I, I have like a tough time with my phone, anyways. That for some reason I need to dial nine oh seven oftentimes for local numbers. Hmm. Um, um, for texting so, or for calling? Well, you know, sometimes it might be different. I I don't know. It, it's it's tough, so I just try to put in that 90. Sounds like you need a phone exorcist. Now. If it's uh, different, yeah. that's just weird. It should be the same one way or the well, other. Well, that does remind me. If there's time today, I have I have some more reports on my 
my cell phone. Oh, there you go. My flashing iPhone. Stroke. Yeah. Excellent. So, Doug, you said you have a WordPress question. Indeed. And I know, I mean, like, let's say people have uh, smaller questions that they don't need to make a trip to Hawaii for, uh, like, a whole WordPress. Are you implying that I might be having a WordPress seminar in Hawaii and that it is going to be awesome? Because if that's what you're implying... If if he was, it would be, what, February 8th? Well, actually, those dates are changing, which is why I'm kind of moment-to-moment. I was sick with the flu for, like, 8,000 years, so everything's in a bit of a state of a disarray. But, yes, let's say that you, Doug, are not coming to my awesome Hawaii WordPress seminar. What is your question? I recently changed themes, and Mm -hmm. I found an amazing theme. It's... it's, um, set up more for photography than the writing that I'm used to working with, but it says that it's supposed to have the widget area working on the right side of the screen, right. but that widget area doesn't work, and then like some other sharing stuff at the bottom, that isn't there. Okay, and so real quick, so that people know what we're talking about, WordPress is a, a system for managing content on a website. It's a content management system, and it lets you both really easily update your website and change how it looks. It's got a visual graphical interface for changing your theme, for rearranging content, and it does all of this with really good, high-quality code. So unlike, say, using Dreamweaver or some other visual editor, it doesn't produce a horrible website. It actually produces some of the best websites out there. So WordPress is the bomb. Um, In your case, Doug, when you say that widgets in the sidebar aren't working, how are you are you dragging the widgets from the widget area to the sidebar? Yeah, I sure am. And there's even supposed to be just with how the theme's based, it's, there's supposed to be a few widgets over there and it's it's not there. I, and um it, it, it's 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 made it's it's like to the point that it, it seems like I went to some help forums, and they debated this stuff, but the the end of the help talked like it was fixed through the code or whatever. Oh, no kidding. And I'm not one. I'm, I'm, I'm like, terribly afraid of code. You shouldn't be afraid. Anymore, are you afraid of, let's say, grizzly bears? Okay, it's a bad example. (laughs) Um, Are you you afraid? (laughs) I... Just what came to mind. Are you afraid of tuberculosis? Yeah. I mean, oh, wait, that's not a good example. Are you afraid of falling from really high heights? (laughs) Doug. With that virus, you might have tuberculosis. Oh, man, I thought I had some, I had like, I thought I had rust disease in my lungs or something. No, in your case, if that was, and here's basically two things happen with themes all the time. Excuse me while I cough. I might have to resort, resort to the chicken. You might, but here I am. I'm here. I really, you know, when I go and listen to these recordings later, it really sounds terrible. You can hear me snuffling in I the background. I believe it. At any rate, Doug, with these themes, two things happen. One is there's a, a, a part of the theme that people haven't been made aware they need to activate, whether because each page could have, have a different template or it's possible that it needs a very specific plugin for the widgets to work. Um, the, the trick is all this stuff should be listed in the theme documentation. Okay. If you've gone through the theme documentation and followed the instructions and it's still not working, then, yeah, it's either a, a bug in the theme itself or it's um, 
uh, incompatibility between a theme and a different plugin that you have installed, because WordPress can have multiple plugins installed. <coughs> um, in your case, it sounds like it's just a bug. And unfortunately, that means you're either going to have to do without the widgets, you're going to have to edit the code yourself, or you're going to have to get someone else to edit the code. Um, editing the code yourself is actually really fun, and it pretty easy to do. No, no, no. It's not like wrestling a bear. It's much more like, let's say, um, a port. No, no, not a port spine. Uh, <laughs> let's, say, let's say, um, let's like playing with a kitten. Yeah, that could suddenly bite you, but you wouldn't die. That's okay. I had a kitten bite through my thumbnail. Once. All right, so really not hurt. like playing with a kitten either. Playing with code is like playing with cold fire. Now, whatever. The point is, the point is, you should do it, and uh, it's metaphor fun. Metaphor on metaphor. Yes. I love it. Okay. The other thing you can do, though, is there's actually a web website called WordPress Questions, wpquestions.com. Uh-huh. And I realize I'm kind of putting myself out of business by saying this, but you can go there and you can pay like <laughs> – Ten dollars or fifteen dollars, and you'll you'll bid out uh, this problem that you have, and people uh-huh. will then say, "Oh, okay, I'll fix it for this amount of money," and then they do, it, and you pay off a really small amount of money, and they get it done. Interesting. It works really well. Uh, the, the last time I was there, the website was down. It's kind of like Zipcar. Yeah, or or kind of like the there's uh, there's other websites that let you, uh, you know, put out uh, odd jobs for the bid. And this is this is one for webs uh, for WordPress, and it's really great. The last time I was there, that functionality was down. You couldn't sub- submit new questions, but they still had a uh, gloss, not a glossary, but an index of people who were willing to have questions asked. And mm-hmm. I just emailed one of them because I had a question that was stumping me, and wow. I said. Um, and I could give you a really long epic saga about this particular WordPress shenanigan I was oh, please do. <coughs> well, this code. No. Um, the bottom line is, is people are very willing and eager to help. So if you ever need this, you can actually pay off just five, ten dollars and get a lot of help from people for these fairly straightforward things. And so you don't have to abandon your theme. That sounds great. Yep. WPQuestions.com. Check it out. Yep. All right. Thanks, Michael. Excellent. Thank you, Doug. See you, Doug. All right. Good night. Good night. Good night, Paul. Thanks for calling. <clears throat> All right. So that was WordPress. That was coding. Coding is fun. You know, here's the trick with coding, just like with computing. Just have a backup of whatever you're working on, and then you can go to town. You can delete swaths of information, add bits and pieces back in, play around. It's well worth it because it takes, for anyone like Doug who's smart enough to be installing and changing themes, you're more than smart enough to understand code well enough to modify it. There's a, there's a gulf of difference between modifying code and writing code from scratch. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty easy to get good enough to modify. I can modify all sorts of languages I could never hope to write in. I mean, just I could go to town in, in, in various languages that I I'm, you know, cannot possibly develop for. Well, you certainly need a base of knowledge, though, to know the syntax and to know what, what characters do, to use. But as an example, you know, if they had given an example on the website, they probably said, you can go to this line and delete this line, and it'll make it start working. Mm. And in that case, if you have a backup of your site, then you should definitely feel free oh, to do that. Oh, if you're just taking out a whole line, yeah. Yeah. The other thing is that often you can – the great thing about websites is how they look is dictated by very self-explanatory text. 
like, you know, bold is 14 pixels Geneva font or whatever it is. So you just search for bold and and you change it and you see if, if I, that's how I got started. I would search for a phrase in the code, change it, reload the page, see if it had happened and, or if it had broken, and then either undo it or just keep going down the line. Hmm. So, yes. Paul, you said you had some questions well, about your iPhone that's possessed. Well, yeah. It's still randomly turning on. Uh, on from being off? Yeah, being off. I, I guess that makes sense, right, as opposed to on from and being And I on. knew that this morning because I distinctly knew that I, I had fully charged it, and I shut it down, watched it shut down. Now, before... Did it move location in the room, Paul, during the night? Did it come closer to your bed when you woke up? No. No. It sounds that your, your phone needs to be restored. It needs to be wiped and restored, which we've talked about before yeah. we just haven't done. But really, all of this bizarre behavior is either hardware issue or software issue. It's almost certainly software, which means wipe and restore. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, does well, it still flash? It wildly? still flashes wildly. Well, That's when it rings, it's flashing away. Pretty hilarious. Which I've sort of gotten it. used to. It's not so bad. Do you ever do you ever say, "Quick, call me. I need to find something." <laughs> right in the dark. Call yeah. me. I, I'm lost. I'm lost. <laughs> I need a strobe. Look for a flashing light. Yes. Well, Paul, another experience you had over the Christmas break. Yes. Up in Fairbanks leads us to answer a question that I've gotten yes. from people before. Good. And that is on using an Airport Express to stream audio to your stereo system. Yeah, I've been working on that, and it's been working pretty well. Um, happy to be able to transfer my entire CD collection and a little 500 gigabyte external hard drive and then be able to play off of that. <clears throat> um, How far we've come. Yes, now, the the most recent problem, there always seems to be one more additional, is we've noticed that on some tracks it's cutting out on me. Not the same tracks, though, right, every time? Uh, yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's totally a different different ballpark from the original I thing I was going to talk about. I haven't done a complete scientific analysis on it to see if it's, you know, doing it at the exact same spot in the same song. Um but it's just. But it is the same song. The same disc, time. anyway. Huh. So, um, is it possible it's a recording problem, or? Um, well, so here's the deal. Generally, when you get, if you're streaming audio from from your computer or your Airport ex- uh, iPod or whatever it is to an Airport Express, and your audio starts to cut out, you have two things going on. One is um, your network can't keep up for some reason. It's getting overloaded. And that would happen, say, if you had an old Airport Express and it was at the far end of a big network and multiple other things were going on and you were trying to stream to it through, like, three other routers, right? In other words, by the time the signal reaches the Airport Express, it's traveled a lot. It it just it can't quite cope. It starts dropping the signal. I don't think that's what's going on for you because you're not even There's using no that. There's no traffic. There's no traffic. There's no Internet. You have the Airport Express, you have your phone, and you have the cabin and the wilderness at the end. <laughs> it's, if it's getting overwhelmed by that, there's a problem. And that does sort of leads us to there's a problem. And my initial response is going to be, well, probably you should just unplug it from the wall, plug it back in. The router's probably freaking out. 
routers love to freak out. It's one of their favorite things to do. Unplugging them is is a great way to sort of make them hmm. reset their little brains. That being said, there are pages, literally pages of discussion on Apple websites about this topic, and people have sometimes had to reformat and reset enti- their airport entirely. Uh, mm. you, and I, you, we, you and I went through that when you first went up there to set right. it up. Because right. you can reset them to factory defaults. Right. Um, in other words, that basically... that button yep. with a pencil or something sharp. Go through that whole rigmarole. Mm-hmm. And so you can... There's a lot of different ways to troubleshoot it. In your particular case, I'm sure that just resetting it or unplugging it from the wall would work. That being said, if you're only seeing this for certain songs, and you, I know you're ripping songs at full Apple lossless audio quality, it is conceivable, and I don't know this for a fact, that the audio quality that you're streaming from, your older Airport Express can't cope with it for some of Mm. those albums. I'm, I'm more or less wildly speculating right now but that's you know basically if it truly is and we would have to test it but if it truly is only happening on certain songs or for a certain album Hmm. something like that is going on well i'm gonna buy a newer express anyway so maybe i should take that one up there and see if the problem uh, you could but i would i would try restarting restarting it first because that's honestly more likely okay so yep there's so I that. can take both of them up there sometime and see which one works better. So uh, and so people don't forget, UG1 Cent is UG the number one, and then S E N T as in cent. That's, that's also C-E-N-T. yes, that's also eight four one seven three six eight. A number it can you can also text. be maybe this is less ambiguous. UG1 Rent works yeah, maybe. also. That's true. The R know. and the S are on the same that's key. That's true. Oh. UG1 Rent. I can't believe you came up with those all by yourself, Paul. <laughs> okay, so help at outofajam.net is also a way to get in touch with us. And you can also get in touch with us on facebook.com slash outofajam. If you have a question, if you have a comment, please do. I've been criticized by people off the air before for not giving the number enough because they're like, I forget. It's true. I yeah. don't remember. And it is live after all. We're and live, we like Paul, ideas. You know we want people to send us ideas for shows. Um, product reviews, um, interesting websites. We do tip of the week and 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 site of the week, sighting of the week, also sightings of random things. Yes, sighting of the week. Indeed. And speaking like of which, like I saw Michael Miller actually leave his house for the first time in two weeks. He was shuffling was a like a zombie. It's patient zero. Run. <laughs> As it, as it stands, the, we actually had someone call before the show. They couldn't call into That's the show. Right. We do with have a update. question on what was the best keyboard case to get for their iPad. Mm-hmm. And after some hemming and hawing on my part, um, y- you know, the, the bottom line is for most of these iPads, first of all, if you have an iPad, you're very much likely at some point are going to wish for a keyboard if you ever plan to do any writing of any significant length. And by keyboard, I don't mean the keyboard that is actually on the screen, although I've seen people get really impressively good at that Mm, one, I mm. have to say. But, no, in this case, you'll want a keyboard, and you can go down two routes. And the most common route is to get a case for your iPad that both protects it, props it up, and has a keyboard built into it. 
which is pretty cool. Uh, Logitech makes makes a really great line of products for this. Paul, you've got a Logitech that works mm-hmm. pretty well for I you. I like it a lot. Yep. Um, you know, it'll take a take a shock. <coughs> it's hard. Um, it's easy to open. <clears throat> it doesn't interfere with your your having the screen uh, horizontal or vertical. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter. It just sits in the slot either way you want it. You know, some of them you, you have to slip the iPad into a sleeve. You kind of have to wrestle with then, your case, if you then will. It's, and you're stuck with it in one one orientation or the other. Right. Well, a really popular version of that, Logitech's updated, and it's Logitech Solar Keyboard Folio. You've got the Logitech Keyboard Folio. The uh, Solar Keyboard Folio charges itself via ambient light. Oh, wow. Which is very cool. The downside is it doesn't charge itself like yours does from a USB jack. So you, if you run out of power, you can't just hook up to something and get it all charged up. But it'll, it'll charge itself from a light bulb from a cloudy day, whatever it is. So chances are you actually won't ever run out of power. I like that. Yeah, that is very cool. And so that one's gotten some really good reviews. It's Uh, like calculators, you know. Yeah. That's how a lot of calculators Mm -hmm. are now. And Logitech actually has a whole line of keyboards uh, based on that concept. Now they have this iPad case, which is pretty sweet. The the other option, of course, as to what you can do, is you could just get a regular Bluetooth keyboard. Any keyboard supports Bluetooth, and Bluetooth is a a type of wireless standard for communicating between devices like keyboards, mice, computers, headsets. You know, when you see someone walking around with a little blinking headset in their ear. Isn't this a Bluetooth connection? Yep. So the the cases are also Bluetooth. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of wireless, there's a lot of Bluetooth keyboards out there for computers. And what people don't realize is those keyboards will work with their iPad just fine. And so you can get a regular full-size keyboard, basically, for your Mm -hmm. iPad and type away 80 words per minute or whatever it is. It's not the case feature, though. It is not the case feature or the portability feature. Mm -hmm. The closest mix of all of that that I've seen is what people do is you get one of the cases that encases your iPad and lets you prop it up. And then you get Apple's small wireless keyboard, which is roughly, it's just barely wider or just as wide as the iPad. And it's also not a case, so you can't wrap it up. You'd have to keep all this in a bag or something. Mm -hmm. Or at home, in case you need to. But it makes for a very small, slim, low-profile keyboard that works with your iPad really nicely. So if you primarily type at home or in a coffee shop on a table and you don't need your case to actually act as a little typing table, then that can work really well as well. I do like the way this one just kind of clicks down into the recesses of the keyboard, and uh, <clears throat> just it just holds there by friction. Yeah, it makes and, uh, a very quick, easy, protect, protective case for it. It doesn't really affect the profile of the device. It's only slightly thicker. Speaking of which, slightly thicker, there's also the TouchFire keyboard. The TouchFire keyboard is actually a silicone keyboard that overlays over your iPad screen over the iPad's existing built-in keyboard. And the the capacitive touch function of the iPad screen continues to work through the screen or through this keyboard that you lay over. So what it ends up doing, it gives you a tactile function to the built-in keyboard of the iPad. How does it give you a tactile function? It actually sits on there? It actually sits on there. The silicone is is actually raised up. So when you hit it, you can feel it depressed. And then that in turn contacts the screen. Exactly. Interesting. So that is pretty cool. And, you know, I'm not sure how well it probably really works to replace a real keyboard. 
but that might work for someone who wants mm-hmm. some maximum portability yeah. and doesn't quite like the on-screen keyboard. That one goes for 50 bucks, so it's hmm. not a crazy investment, but it will set you back a few dollars. All right, we're almost out of time. We're very much looking forward to being here next week. We've got a couple of guests lined up. Um, I'm not sure on the dates exactly yet, so we're just going to – I think I say this a lot, actually. But it's, it's okay. all formative. It's all formative. We're an amoeba of, of technology news and information. We love hearing from you. Please get in touch with us. It's good to be back. It's good to be alive. Sorry for <laughs> coughing into your radio. <coughs> Once and, more. Yes, exactly. And we will be back next week. Have a great night. See ya. Like.